Praise the Lord. Let's find a place. We are believing God for a breakthrough in prayer, personal intimacy with God. And um, among us in this local church, there are many needs represented, but um, I believe none greater than the need for such a breakthrough. Amen. You can turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be reading from three passages of Scripture here today. First of all, out of Exodus 20, starting in verse 22. Exodus 20 and 22. The Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings thy peace offerings, thy sheep and thine oxen, and all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone, for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shall thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Now turn a few chapters over to Exodus chapter 27. What we just read were, were instructions for building an altar, private, occasional, temporal. Here we have instructions building the altar in the temple. Exodus 27 verses 1 through 8. And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. Thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. Thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes, and his shovels, and his basins, and his flesh hooks, and his fire pans. All the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. Thou shalt make for it a grate of network of brass, and upon the net shalt thou make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof. And thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath, that the net may be even to the midst of the altar. Thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with brass. And the staves shall be put into the rings, and the staves be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it, as it was showed thee in the mount, so shall they make it. And then turn lastly to Psalms 43 and 4. Psalms 43 and 4. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. May God by His Spirit draw, draw us unto Himself afresh by His Word here this morning. I thought the God of the altar, the God of the altar. Father, I come to you in great need here today. 
Oh, Lord, I ask you, Lord, for your spirit, for the anointing that makes preaching effectual, Lord, that we would hear your voice, Father God, that our hearts would burn within us, Lord, that you would draw us unto yourself. We need your grace, Lord. We need your spirit. Pour out your spirit of supplication upon us here today, Father God. Stir us as a body of believers, Lord, knowing our need, seeing our need to seek you afresh, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The God of the altar. Throughout history in both the Jewish and Christian modes of authentic worship of God, altars have always been integral. Hence, it's no surprise that the mentioning of altars occur 433 times in the Scriptures with various applications. Incidentally, the first reference to an altar is found in Genesis 8 and 20. It was after the horrific judgment of the flood where Noah, influenced by the spectacle of a worldwide divine slaughter, humbles himself and submits himself afresh to God, and the Noahic covenant was established. The last reference of an altar is found in Revelation 16 and 7, in the midst of God pouring out his wrath on mankind in the final day judgments. Judgments, amen, that are unparalleled going all the way back to the flood. And we find there heavenly voices speaking from the altar, exalting the righteousness of God's judgment and siding with the judgment and the justice of a holy God. And perhaps that is there to teach us something, amen, that apart from the altar, we will never really agree with the judgment and the justice of a holy God. We will always find ourselves offended with God's correction, with God's reproof, amen, if we stray from the altar. In between these two references, the holiest of men, from patriarch to prophet, built altars before God. In Israel's long vacillating history, judgment was always certain when she either abandoned or perverted the altar. And so it was. The altar was pivotal in the spiritual life, amen, of the Jew. Both the Hebrew as well as the Greek words translated into the English word altar literally mean a place of sacrifice. And sacrifice, from a Christian perspective, as we know, speaks of a substitutionary sin offering. Amen. Why an offering? Amen. Because of sin. Amen. Because of sin. Why a blood sacrifice? Because ultimately the only thing that can cleanse human beings of their sin, amen, is the blood of the Lamb of God. The blood of bulls and the blood of goats would never cleanse us from sin. But the law was established, amen, and the sacrificial system was ordered, amen, to point to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to teach men, amen, that there would come a sacrifice that would be sufficient, amen, as it declares in Hebrews 9 and 22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Transgression of the law demands penalty of the law. And this was the lesson of blood sacrifice. Amen. Sin is always going to cost life. Sin is always going to cost someone, amen, their life. Amen. Guilt is part, amen, of this experience. To teach us, amen, sin is wrong. Sin is going to cost someone their life. And you know, to live 
live under that truth. Amen. To have our conscience uh, enlightened to that. Amen. Listen to me. It drives us, amen, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, people that are raised in a situation like this are raised around the truth. People that are in the Lord Jesus Christ but begin to backslide and perhaps want to evade things. They always begin to think. The devil begins to tell them, if you can just, you know, get out of this environment, if you can just get away from hearing all this gospel truth, friend, I'm here to tell you, amen, you're not running from a church. You're not running from a ministry. You're running from God. You're running from reality because this is reality. Just because you go somewhere where everyone believes a lie isn't going to change reality. You're going to face God one day. You've got an appointment you cannot break, miss, or reschedule. It is appointed unto you once to die. You're going to stand before a holy God, and you're going to give an account. You're going to give an account for the deeds done in your body, whether good or evil. We need to face reality. The wages of sin is death. Thus the concept of the altar is central to sacrificial atonement and therefore key to gospel reconciliation between holy God and fallen man. Yes, the altar speaks of many things. It speaks of service. It speaks of covenant. It speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of surrender and atonement, and etc. and so forth. But, but, but perhaps above all, the altar has always been understood as the place where peace with God through blood sacrifice occurs and fellowship begins. Did you hear me? Amen. This is what the altar, amen, in the most basic concept, what it represents. It is understood as the place where peace with God through blood sacrifice occurs and fellowship begins. It's at the altar that God and man are reconciled and communion with the Most High is possible. And thank God it is possible. Hallelujah. Indeed, the bloodstained altar is where God meets man. And thus, altar and prayer have always been synonymous. Thus, from a New Testament perspective, the altar symbolizes both the bloodstained cross of Christ and the reconciliation and the communion with God it provides. Amen. That cross, amen, has given us a new and a living way where we can come boldly into the presence of God, where we have been reconciled to our maker, where we can know him and walk with him and labor with him and glorify him. These two principal ideas must never be forgotten or divorced one from another. For on one hand, without the atoning work of Christ on the altar of the cross, we have absolutely no grounds for fellowship with God. And on the other hand, though we may acknowledge Jesus' finished work, if we shun and neglect its most lofty privilege, namely a relationship with God, we do greatly err. Amen. That's like a man searching all of his life. Amen. For the pearl of great pride. 
price. And then when he finds it, he refuses to sell all to obtain it. Amen. Such a creature doesn't exist in the New Testament. I said such a creature does not exist. This whole idea that men, amen, can, you know, pursue salvation. They can want salvation. They can want heaven. They can desire to escape hell with having very little desire for the person of Jesus. Amen. That's foreign to the Scriptures. You cannot separate one from the other. Christ is salvation. If you don't want Jesus, you don't want salvation. And that's an absolute friend. These two principal ideas, they cannot be separated. Amen. We need that cross. The only ground that I have fellowship with God is on the ground of the shed blood of Christ. And yet, amen, I must not shun the greatest privilege. What is salvation if I refuse a relationship with God? Who can say they're saved? What are you saved from if you don't know God and don't walk with God? What kind of Christianity, what kind of spiritual Frankenstein have we produced when people come to an altar and only want to be forgiven? No such thing found in the Bible. With this in mind, I only have a few basic points that I want to communicate here from the text. First of all, the building of altars was not an option. It was a requirement. It was a requirement. We read about it in both Exodus 20 and 27. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and thou shalt make an altar of shit of wood. Amen. Wasn't just for the priesthood. Wasn't just for the Levites. Amen. It applied to everyone. For the use of both private and public worship. We read in Exodus 20 and 27, both in permanent and temple altars. Amen. They were commanded to be constructed. Hence, for God's people, the concept of building altars was not optional, but commanded. The law with its sacrificial system was set in place. A covenant between God and Israel was established. And obedience demanded conformity to the dictates and the demands of the law, including the building of altars. It didn't matter whether you agreed with it or you didn't agree with it. Didn't matter where it fit into your plans or your busy schedule, amen, or your stress budget, amen. It didn't matter whether you said you were a morning person or not a morning person. It didn't matter whether you said I'm an animal. It didn't matter. You were going to build an altar or you were going to be disobedient was not an option. Anyone who would have claimed to be a worshiper of God, but who rarely if ever visited an altar, would be considered a fraud. Likewise, those who somehow perverted the right use of the altar were considered idolaters. Time and time, during periods of spiritual decline, reformers like King Josiah destroyed pagan altars and reestablished God's order of worship. Men like the prophet Elijah, who, as it says in 1 Kings 18 and 30, amen, in a time when Israel was under great deception, great spiritual trouble, amen, there was famine. I said there was a famine in the land. There was a drought. There was a thirst for water. And the Bible 
Bible says that he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Amen. And the fire fell and revival came. Amen. But the altar had to be repaired and set in order. The altar, the way it was viewed, the way it was used or neglected was always a sure reflection of the spiritual state of God's people. And so it is today. Establishing an altar or exercising faith in the finished work of Christ and pursuing the privileges that that faith brings is not optional. Amen. You make no mistake about it. You want to be forgiven. You want to escape hellfire. Amen. You want to be a Christian. You say, I am a Christian. Amen. Then you must nurture a hunger for God himself. You must pursue after God. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. 10, 19 through 22. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in to the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. No no one could read this passage and image in their mind a prayerless saint. No one could read this passage and see someone who is prayerless or not interested in the Lord Jesus Christ or the Word of God. No words recorded in the New Testament so embody the concept of the altar more than these words. You see both faith, amen, to come, to be cleansed, to be purified, but also faith for ongoing pursuance, amen, expressed in these verses here. Listen to me. The faith that secures justification is the same faith that secures sanctification. The same desire to be forgiven is the same desire that desires to be holy and sanctified. The same desire that desires to escape hellfire and to be a Christian and to be converted is the same desire heart that wants to know Jesus Christ above all things. You cannot separate the two. To the genuine believer, these are not dead ritualistic words. No, these are the lyrics to the divine love song that plays continually in his heart. These are the words of life. These are the words of heavenly experience. But for those who have forgotten the altar, those who have abandoned their pursuit of God, for those who feel that they do not need to so desperately cling to the bloodstained cross, for they rarely walk closely to a holy God. You see, if you're not really in the presence of God, amen, you don't really see your need. In fact, only in the presence of God do we rightly discern ourselves, amen. And so often when people, amen, they're not really in the, listen, I don't care how long it's been since you prayed through, but the moments you do pray through, the moments you do, almost the first thought, he's holy, and me apart from him, I'm unholy, amen. Without him, I'm nothing. I'm in trouble. Without God, you don't need no altar. You think when you haven't been in the presence of God. What's the blood to a man who doesn't walk that closely to a holy God? He can count it. He can disesteem it. He can count it, amen, as something natural, amen, in common. 
but all the man that wants to walk with God every day. Amen. I believe a man can live holy. Amen. Through that cross. I believe a man can live holy and never sin. Amen. But it will be only by that cross and by that revelation that without him I can do nothing. Amen. It'll only be as you walk hand in hand with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Oh, but if you drift from that holy God, you're going to lose sight of what you really are. You're going to lose that heart cry. Amen. To all that you need the grace of God. You need the Spirit of God. You need eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to perceive and understand. You see, such words are beyond and above the experience of such people. Christianity to them is not an ongoing little pursuit, but merely a subcategory of their busy religious lives. Amen. The altar is not an option. The altar is a command. I said the altar is not an option. The altar is a command. Secondly, the altar is essential for divine blessing. We read it in verse 24. An altar of earth shalt thou make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, thy peace offerings, thy sheep, and thine oxen. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. Our text here is clear. Apart from the altar and its right use, there could be no heavenly blessing. If it wasn't fashioned humbly or built according to God's prescribed order or approached, if it was approached irreverently, if it was misused or misappropriated in any way, if it was shunned, neglected, or forgotten, then the tangible blessing of God was always forfeited. It was that simple. Amen. No shortcuts, no ifs, ands, and buts. The Word of God is clear. If you wanted the presence of God, God, if you wanted the provision of God, if you wanted the protection of God, then you dare not forsake the altar, or you dare not approach the altar lightly. And today, not much has changed. The altar life, as I'll refer to it, is a life fixated on Jesus Christ and Him crucified while passionately trusting in and ministering unto God. Did you hear me? The altar life. Amen. Is that life fixated on Jesus Christ and Him crucified while passionately trusting in and ministering unto God? Amen. Now we read about it. It's not a step-by-step program. Amen. You you don't incrementally obey God. That's not allowed. You, you don't put off sin. Amen. By and by. Obedience, full obedience is demanded at all times. You've got to give, render everything that you know. Amen all the lights you have. If you say, well, I know God wants this or I know God wants me to forsake this and I'm going to do that one day when I'm ready. But right now I'm just going to take it a little bit of time, a little bit at a time. We read what's going to happen to you. You try to approach that altar step by step. Your nakedness is going to be exposed. You're not going to come to God like that. You're not going to stay with God like that. Amen. This altar life is all or nothing all the time. It is a condition. Amen. Likewise, 
Amen. You're not going to put, amen, your tool to it. Amen. You're not going to fashion it, engineer it, scheme, try to twist, entice. No, no. Amen. You're going to see and recognize the sovereignty of God. You're going to understand the providence of God. And you're going to, you're going to surrender, amen, to His divine hand in your life. He said, don't you, you make a, you make an altar out of stone. Don't you make it out of hewn stone. Don't you put a tool to it. In other words, you recognize I formed that stone. Amen. And I sovereignly put it right before your feet this day because I knew you were going to build an altar right here. In other words, this has to do with prayer. This has to do with everyday circumstances. Amen. Things that come in your life, you're going to have to look at it right. And if you don't look at it right and you try to take that situation and that circumstance and your response is you're trying to twist it and pervert it, you pollute your life. You're going to pollute it. Lots of people in the church, hey, but they don't see rightly. They don't respond rightly. Hey, but they don't pray about things rightly. And what they do is they pollute their devotional life. They pollute their devotional life because they try to twist. They try to tool that circumstance, make it into something it's not, to build a devotional life, to build a spiritual life out of hewn stone. No, no, it's polluted. It's polluted. It's polluted, and God is not going to accept it. Such a life, amen, is a demarcation line between those who profess Christ, who are truly spiritual, and those who are not, but are in fact carnal. Amen. You're going to have to build an altar. Amen. It's not an option. It's a command. Amen. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have to establish that altar. Men of old who above all pursued God found that they must frequent an altar. You go back and read through the lives of the men who walked by faith, the men who followed God. If it wasn't Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, amen, and on through the patriarchs and Moses and the prophets, they were men who constantly built an altar and they were blessed of God. You see, why is that? Because if the altar sacrifice was made, amen, if the altar sin was addressed, at the altar forgiveness secured at the altar obedience is exercised at the altar divine and human relationships are restored you cannot forsake the altar amen god does his mysterious work amen with you at that altar and in this dispensation that altar is the cross and the practical, amen, outflowing of a life that truly believes that Jesus died for them. It's not a one-time event where you come and bow and see God. It's a moment-by-moment event, amen, where you are seeking God, amen, for his spirit, for his leadership, for his word, for his tangible presence, for his blessing, amen, this is the Christian life, amen, today it's impossible to believe and trust and love God while forsaking the altar, such a life will never be blessed, and how much more under the better promises of this covenant, if they forsook the altar, everyone knew, amen, there was trouble, trouble with that individual. When the nation of Israel forgot the altar or perverted the altar, amen, it wasn't soon a prophet was sent to address the issue. No one could dream of being right with God and not having a right relationship with the altar. How much more, amen, under this covenant with better promises. Hebrews 13, 10 through 15, we have an altar 
whereof they have no right to eat, would serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. To God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Basically, just in layman's term, amen, the apostle says, we got a better covenant, amen. We've got the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. We have the the last sacrifice, amen, the ultimate sacrifice. And seeing this is true, let us Go unto Jesus. Let us offer up continually at all times the sacrifice of praise, giving thanks. Listen to me. Do you see, do you hear of a prayerless Christian in that passage? No such creature. No such creature. Thirdly, the altar was about more than mere forgiveness. No doubt the altar was a familiar place for the Old Testament Jew. And his soul was indebly and irreversibly sobered by the frequent spectacle of sacrificial blood. We know that's the truth. Amen. Think about that. Think about having to go and offer up sacrifice constantly. Amen. For the sin. Oh, what an impact that could make upon your soul. However, the lessons of sacrifice point to something far more grand and transcendent than merely the forgiveness of sin. Notice more than sin offerings were represented, amen, uh, which represented atonement for sin, were offered upon the altars of Israel. That wasn't the only kind of sacrifice, amen, that was offered, amen. There were many other sacrifices. There were many other offerings that are symbolic of praise, thanksgiving, adoration, love, and communion. Amen. Do you understand? You see, the altar service, all of these variety of offerings. It wasn't just an altar for sin offerings. There was no such altar. And neither is there such an altar today. I just want my sins forgiven. No, no. And listen to me. If you've got no desire for God, and you've got no desire for his word, amen, and listen to me, that's not God's fault. That's your fault. Choose. Amen? Choose to have a desire. Choose to have a desire for God. I don't feel, I didn't say feel, I said choose. But if you refuse to desire after God, Amen. Believe me, there's no altar for you. There's no altar for you. You come to that one altar or you don't come to any at all. Amen. If you're not willing to continually offer up the sacrifice of praise, if you're not willing to be thankful, if you're not willing to seek after God, amen, then you're not going to offer your sin. Jesus, amen, is not going to merely be a sin offering. You've got to want him to receive the benefit of the covenant. 
And indeed, the cross is much more than merely a place where we're forgiven, cleansed, and even delivered. And thank God for that. I am not belittling that. That is needful, and we have need of that. We absolutely need that, and we, we should be thankful for it. But we cannot stop there. We must move forward. By the finished work of Christ and for his glory, we can now walk with and know God. This is the end of salvation. The end of salvation is not merely that you can be forgiven, but the end of salvation is the glory of God, amen, through your relationship with him, that you would be one with the Father via the atoning and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no way to realize the end of salvation according to the divine perspective apart from a full surrender to Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says in Colossians 1, 20-23. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth, things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. You suppose that a prayerless Christian could be described as holy, unblameable, or unreprovable? In his sight? No. Listen to what Ephesians 2, 13 through 20 says. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off were made nigh by the blood of Christ. I'm trying to show you it's more than forgiveness. It's more than forgiveness. Amen. God has uh, desires more. Amen. He's seeking more, a deeper thing, a much deeper thing than merely for you to be forgiven and for you to just make it into heaven by the skin of your teeth. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. You know, if the enmity that is between us and God. What do you mean, Brother Brent? Well, the carnal mind is what? That's right. And God in his holiness, amen, there is his justice and judgment that abides upon us. Now, if we're saying, does God, God is uh, immutable, he changeth not. Is there anything wrong with God? You know, salvation doesn't imply that God has to make a change, right? Salvation implies who has to make a change. We have to make a change. So when we have been redeemed and we have been regenerated, amen, that enmity has been removed, amen. Now, if there's no longer any enmity in our spirit, if that's been removed, then it stands to reason we will love God. We will be captivated with God. There will be a desire for God. You see, when you have to beg people to like God, amen, you know, you, you suspect that there's enmity there. When people are not interested in God, 
when people are interested in a lot of other things besides God, it tends to make you think there's still enmity there. When the enmity has been removed, there's going to be love. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Oh, the great privilege. You see, the great privilege of redemption is that we have access unto the Father by the Spirit. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers, no more foreigners to God. There's an intimacy. There's a knowledge. Amen. There's a hand in hand. There's a walking closely. There's a taking upon ourselves the nature, the holy character of God. There's a conformity to the image of Christ. There's a loving what he loves and a hating of what he hates. But fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built under the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, being the chief cornerstone. This concept of people just coming in and getting a little bit, a little dab of religion, but no interest to see God, no interest to worship God, no interest to no interest to know God. Amen. There's no such creature in the New Testament except a hypocrite and a tear. And lastly, here this morning. We must be men and women of the altar simply because God is the God of the altar. Amen. If we're of God and he is the God of the altar, then we're going to be men and women of the altar. Then will I go to the altar of God, said the psalmist, to God, my joy and my delight. It stands to reason the people who do know God. And the people who do love God, amen, they love the God of the altar, then likewise they will be men and women of the altar. Throughout her history, when Israel was right, she and her priesthood was faithful to the altar. And so it is with God's people today. True believers are men and women of the altar. And Jesus verified this when he proclaimed, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. If there's anything that should set us apart, amen, as Christians or as the church of the living God, it should be that we be men and women of prayer. If this house is not a house of prayer, then how can we call it? the house of God. And how will such a character have been be stolen? How, such a, how, how will this house be robbed of such a character? It would be by the thieves that would be you and I. It's the only way. It all depends on our spirit, our view of the altar, amen, our notions about God, how we view Christianity. Amen. Is this going to be a house of prayer? The only way it's going to be a house of prayer collectively is if we offer up lives of prayer. Amen. If we do live the altar life. You see, the altar is not a place in this hour. Amen. The altar is not something material. The altar is an attitude, an overarching attitude of heart in the spirit. 
It's the person that lays prostrate at the cross. The person that doesn't, you know, drift. Someone that doesn't meander away too far from the cross. Always believing in Christ. Always looking to the blood. Always standing on the word of God. And thereby seeking God. It's in fact, you can't, I'm, I'm standing on the word of God, but I'm not praying. You're, you're deceived. Amen? I, I'm believing God. But I, I don't pray. You're not believing anything. You can't se- don't separate the two. You may think, you may talk yourself into something, you may bolster your you know religious spiritual image in your own mind. You're measured by that altar. You're measured by communion with God. How you walk with God? Do you know Him? Do you seek Him? Do you rely upon him? Are you dependent upon him? It's impossible to be dependent upon God and not be seeking God. It's an impossibility. Amen. To to deny God the fellowship. Amen. That he wants. And listen to me. It's not we've talked about this before. Uh, Prayer is a duty. But you'll never be faithful in prayer if you see it only as a duty. Amen. It should be an outflow of a relationship with God. And that does has to be nurtured. I'm not suggesting that there's, you know, from the moment you're born again, you're going to have victory in prayer. Amen. Uh, You know, it's going to be something you're going to have to nurture. You're going to have to set your will, amen, to seek God. But if you're really right with God, there is that germ, that seed of life in your bosom. And if you will draw nigh unto God, then He will draw nigh unto you. Your spirit must be, I will not be denied. May we fear God. Amen. May we rightly judge ourselves. Because you see, listen to me, if we continue, if we're prayerless, if, if, amen, our lives are marked by prayerlessness, amen, the longer we go down that road and refuse to take action, the more self-deceived we become. The more we believe, amen, it's going to be all right. And you see, listen to me, God is merciful. God doesn't want you to be destroyed. Amen. God wills that you be delivered. That's his will. But how are you going to be delivered? Only through faith in Him. And if you don't walk closely with Him, then you forfeit, amen, your protection. It's like a man that goes out to battle and says, I'm going to leave my weapon, leave my armor, and I'm just going to go through the battle. He, he, may, go, he may go 100 yards through the heat of battle. Bullets flying all around, never get hit. All that's going to do is make him more self-sufficient. Amen. But sooner or later, listen to me, without armor and without a weapon, he's going to be taken down. And that's what happens to people. You see, they live without, when God's having mercy, he'll even sovereignly move the enemy. He'll, he'll come in time and time again, intervene, try to wake people up. Amen. If they refuse to hear, amen, the principles of the word of God ultimately catch up, reaping and sowing. A haughty spirit comes before a fall. We must be men and women of the altar. It's not an option. Amen. It is a command. And the blessing of God, amen, is at the the foot of the cross. 
as you and I humbly and moment by moment, day by day, submit ourselves to God and seek him on the ground of the shed blood of Christ, only then can we realize our purpose. Let's stand here this morning. Let's come into these symbolic altars here this morning and let's seek to build afresh an altar.
Christ has begun at the altar my guilt was all pardoned and with comfort God flooded my soul oh how thankful I'll be for God's mercy so free while the years of eternity Sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you, Lord, prepare. Sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you, Lord, prepare. Jesus' name. 
Give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Amen. Remember early morning prayer, 5.30 a.m. at uh, Sister Brenda's. Um, let's establish that altar. Amen. Be diligent. Let's not be denied. That needs to be our spirit. We're just going to pray and see God stay in this vein until, amen, we establish that altar, both individually and both corporately. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So this month, we're just going to continue on in the same uh, mindset, praying and fasting. That, that's going to be until. Just don't know when we'll stop that. We'll just uh, be led by the Holy Ghost. But uh, let's uh, consecrate ourselves and continue to uh, press in. This Wednesday evening, we'll have prayer, of course. And then Thursday night, the meetings will start with, um, with Brother Matt. And uh, the, the meetings will be nightly at 7 not 7.30, 7. It'll be Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Then Sunday morning we'll have a regular service, and our brother Matt will preach, and then we'll have a fellowship after. There'll be no Sunday evening service, Sunday evening. We'll have a fellowship on Sunday. And then uh, Tuesday is Mardi Gras, and uh, Lord willing, we'll uh, make a trip down there to preach with Brother Matt, Chris Lapelli, and... Uh, and um, Brother Colby will be uh, visiting. They'll be planning on going down there with us. And then on Wednesday evening, uh, Brother Chris is going to share here at service. Amen. Then on the 17th, we have the uh, Rock and Road. I hate to say this. It's like blasphemy almost. But Rock and Road Worship Show. And then uh, also uh, in March, as I mentioned, I think we might uh, have to go out there and preach at the Elton John event. Amen. At the end of February, Brother Persing is... Uh, camp meeting as well. Keep that in mind and pray for those meetings. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, let's go back tonight ready to seek the Lord and uh, press in. Brother Bob, would you dismiss us with prayer? Amen. Hug someone as you go. God bless you. We will see you, Lord willing, this evening. Come, Holy Spirit, move on me.